Hey, I'm Jason, if we haven't met, and I want to say what Emily said again, I want to say welcome. Um, Emily, th I don't know where you went, but there you are. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And um, one of the reasons we sit in a circle and one of the reasons we do things like that is we, we really deeply believe the church is all of us, right? And so we want many voices speaking in and shaping this community together. We want to be led by many voices and encouraged by many voices, and we want to hear many stories of what God is up to. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And also to the music point, um, I, I think it's really good. I'm glad we cheer for that for two reasons. One is uh, we do have a number of people who they show up a lot earlier than most of us, and um, a lot of people have been giving like every Wednesday just to serve our church and help us kind of be ushered into a really beautiful space uh, spiritually in our hearts and our minds, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, and it makes me reflect on the fact that already I feel like our church is really quite rich in a number of ways, like really quite blessed. Um, whether it's artists or musicians or even just the fact that like I look around the room right now and I don't just see like like only millennials like we, we have we have elders in our church like I love that I really mean that and we got kids in our church and I love that I really mean that um, our church is really rich in a lot of ways and that's why it's so important that right now before we even really get started all the way we're just asking this one long question which is like what is a church because if God's going to give us so much and I really feel like he has already we we just we have a lot of blessings together as a community uh, in the season we're in right now. If God's going to give us so much, then one thing we're really clear on is we need to be thoughtful about how we give that away, how we, how we use all of that to be faithful to what God's calling us to. So we have been asking this question for weeks on end, what is a church? And to do that, we've been digging into the book of Acts, which is the story of the very first church. And we're going to keep going today. So if you've got your uh, programs there, there's an insert. You'll see Acts 15, 1 and 2 at the top there. And we're just going to keep getting into it. Uh, this is one of those chapters in the book of Acts that's like a, a bit of a, a, a pillar in the book. Like if you, if you look at like dry outlines and commentaries in the book of Acts, this is one of the moments that's like really important in the story of the church. It seems to, it seems to sort of gather up everything that God has been doing and bring it together in a really important way. And then it sort of sets the church on a footing to move forward together like into that. And also what I love about this is it's really messy. This is one of the moments in the church where I'm reminded, like, church is messy. And if it's not messy, you might not be doing it right. Like, if we're going to take any cue from the Bible, I'm just saying, like, the, in fact, most of the New Testament literally is written because of the mess. Meaning, like, it's like Paul's trying to clean up a mess in Rome, and then he's trying to <laughs> clean up a mess in Corinth, you know? And everywhere we look, we see that, like, it's this, it's sort of awkward sometimes as we try to just live into Jesus together in the world. It's not always perfect and tidy. We don't always have really clear answers. And yet, the story keeps just kind of calling us to keep taking steps into that story. So we're going to look at the mess a little bit tonight. Uh, this is Acts chapter 15. Let's just kind of get started. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the brothers, that is like these new Christians. They're saying to them, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem, which is headquarters basically, right? To go up to Jerusalem to headquarters to see the apostles and the elders about this question. All right, let's just sort of unpack that a little bit. So uh, remember, Jesus is a Jew. Good? Okay, that's our first point. So he starts out as a Jewish rabbi. He's a teacher of the Jewish people. This whole movement that we call Christianity, the church, all that, it starts 
with a Jewish rabbi, with Jewish friends, doing Jewish things, but in a new way, right? Like God breaking in through his son Jesus, but it starts there as a very Jewish thing. And then what we start seeing, like Ryan teached a, a, a couple weeks ago, I forget, I've lost track. Ryan talked about Peter and Cornelius. We heard this story where one of these Jewish people who was with Jesus is drawn out of his Jewish circle to go be with somebody who's not Jewish, a Gentile. And it has all of these problems associated with it because there's these hierarchies of purity and cleanliness. There's tribal identity. There's like, no, 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 we're Jews and they're Gentiles and we don't mix. There's practices like those Gentiles. They do things that are really unclean and impure. They're, they're idolatrous. They, they live their lives in ways that we don't think are compatible with God and the way that God wants to move in our lives in the world. There's all these problems there, right? But the other problem is the Holy Spirit keeps showing up in the Gentiles' lives. He just keeps showing up in the Gentiles' lives. And that's problematic because they got to figure out, like, what to do with it, like, what sense to make, right? This problem, what do you do with Gentiles that show that God is at work in their lives? What do you do with that when you're these Jewish leaders? That's one of the fundamental questions driving the whole New Testament. And it's one of the reasons we're really bad at reading it because that question's pretty far removed for us, right? Like, really, like, we just don't live in that world at that time with those rules and those problems. We have our own problems, but like the, the specific circumstances, like if you read Paul's letters, like Romans or 1 Corinthians or Galatians, and it, you might think like this is God's word straight to me, and then you get really confused like three lines in, right? <laughs> you ever had that problem? You're like, what do I do with Paul? He's confusing sometimes, right? I've had that problem with Paul. Well, a key to reading Paul is the fact that one of the major things he's trying to work out in his letters is what do we do with the fact that we've got Jews and Gentiles all coming together in what God is doing in the world right now? It's super messy. It's behind lots of the New Testament, and it's like the big question that the church is wrestling with right here. Like, are we going to, you know, are we going to understand that what God is doing in Jesus is Jewish in the strictest sense? And so anybody else who wants to be a part of it has to be fully Jewish too. They got to do all the things that Jews do and they got to avoid all the things that Jews avoid and men have to have a certain procedure even as adults in a world without antiseptic. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem, right? Like, can you imagine you're, you're like a dude, an adult Gentile dude and like you ha have this encounter with God and you start learning about Jesus and your heart comes alive and the people around you can see it and the Jews next to you, they see it and they're like, sweet, come on over, we got a knife. And there's just this one little thing between you and being fully a part of what God is doing. That's really what's going on here, right? That's the tension, okay? And there's bigger questions about what do you do with Torah, which is their old scriptures, right? Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, these texts that God had given them that reveal how they're supposed to live in union with God. So much stuff going on here, right? That's what they're working out. And so they go to headquarters, and they're like, they want to talk to the guys who were right there with Jesus. Like, let's get as close to the original experience of Jesus as possible. So let's go to Jerusalem where the people who spent three years with Jesus are, where they ate with him and heard his teachings and got really, like, mentored by him, right? The people who saw it all firsthand. Let's get them reading on this. So uh, this is 15, 6 through 11. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. This is one of the guys who was with Jesus all along, right? And Peter was also the one who earlier got called to go to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, right? Peter got up and he addressed them, and he said, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. 
He made no distinction between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So that's, uh, that's Peter's like, position in the argument here. And uh, first of all, I just want to like, like, hit the basics here because I don't want to ever lose this in our teaching as a community. Like, the, one thing that like, is so good about this is he's just reminding them, like, in order to get God, you don't have to jump through hoops. That's what was being revealed to them in Jesus. In order to get God, to, to have God, to, to have God in your life, to have the knowledge of God's love for you, you don't have to jump through hoops. Because again and again, it's gift, it's gift, it's gift, right? So they look at Jesus, God in the flesh, and they realize, like, this is the generosity of God, that he just chooses to come, and he shows up, and he walks around, and, and he, it just completely, like, though some of us were just idiots, like, we, maybe we're completely distracted, we weren't even looking for it, and yet here he is, he shows up, and he gives not just gifts, he gives himself to us. This is what we're learning about God and Jesus. He gives himself to us. It's gift, 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 all the way through, Right? Uh, another word for that, by the way, is grace. And it's one of the words in our identity as we're trying to shape that together. A community of grace is one of the things that South End City Church feels completely, deeply called to. Gift through and through. And they're saying, like, don't, don't mess with that, right? Like, don't confuse that. Don't, don't complicate that or muddy it. Don't come to these people who are receiving that gift and start telling them, it's kind of gift, but you've got to work the system a little bit to get it right. It's kind of a gift, but you, also there's some rules for us to let you in that you need to know about, just so you know, right? So let's get those out of the way, and then you're really in on the action that God's up to in the world. And Peter, Peter who was there with Jesus all along, who, who got more things wrong than anyone else, like he was the idiot halfway of the story, but then he seems to really like, have his eyes open, and he's one of the most important voices saying, no, no, here's the cent- central story that's going on here. It's gift, it's gift, it's gift. Don't mess that up. Don't add your rules to it. Don't add your qualifications to it. Don't keep people out because of things that are important to you but apparently aren't as important to God because he said, I'm going to give my spirit to these Gentiles. Gift all the way through. And so, first of all, that's really good news, right? And maybe you need to hear that today because maybe the message that you've heard was something more like, here's all the hoops you have to jump through so that you can be let in on the good thing. And if you've heard that, I'm just here to tell you, that doesn't square with what we see about God and Jesus. It doesn't square with what we see in the early church. It doesn't square with what we see in the scriptures. It's gift, God giving himself to you. And uh, if you haven't heard that anywhere else, I hope you hear that from this community week after week. Now, it strikes me, though, that um, Peter says this thing. He says, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. And here's what's amazing to me, that some of these people had eyes to see the Holy Spirit at work in people who were way different from them. I mean, this is really amazing to me. In fact, he says, Holy Spirit. And for these people, holy, the word holy is loaded down with 
lines of who's in and who's out because the Israelites are God's holy people and the Gentiles aren't. And the Israelites know the holy code, so they do the holy things, like they eat these foods and they don't eat those foods. And they go to the temple in Jerusalem, but they don't bow down to those pagan idols. So holy is wrapped up in all kinds of important stuff for them. And I'm thinking if I'm Peter and I've lived my entire life knowing this is what holiness looks like and this is who the holy people are, and then I look at people who aren't the holy people, who don't do the holy things, I probably have a really hard time seeing the Holy Spirit at work there. Because I probably have some prejudices, right? I probably have some, some gap between me and them that makes it really hard for me to actually see what God might be doing right there in their life. And what I want to ask us as a community is like, are there people or groups of people for you or for me that it would be really hard to have eyes to see the Holy Spirit at work in them? Do you have an enemy at work? I mean, do you have somebody that's just like a punk? I mean, like I'm serious, like a real punk. And like, like every time you see them, it just grates on you. The way they live their life, the way they talk to you. The, like there's just this chasm between you and them. There's relational conflict and there's choices they've made that are different than the choices you would make. You have that person at work? I'm guessing if God started doing something really cool in their life, like breaking in with his love and his presence, I'm guessing it'd be harder to see it there than in the life of someone that you just feel really cozy with, somebody you love to be around, right? It's a lot easier for us to see the holy in people who are like us. And it can be hard to see it across some chasm, some gap, right? So serious questions. If the Holy Spirit was at work in the life of a Trump supporter and you're not a Trump supporter, would you have eyes to see it? Serious question. If the Holy Spirit was at work in the life of a Hillary supporter and you're not a Hillary supporter, would you have eyes to see it? If the Holy Spirit was at work uh, in the life of somebody who sees everything different from you, would you have eyes to see it? If the Holy Spirit was at work in somebody who says they don't even believe in God, maybe like a loud and proud atheist, but somehow the Holy Spirit's at work in their life, would you have eyes to see it? If the Holy Spirit's at work in like a different kind of Christian, you know the Christians that got all the wrong answers and we got all the right answers, would you have eyes to see it? I don't know who that is for you, but like would you have eyes to see it? If the Holy Spirit's at work in the life of a gay person or a trans person, do you think you'd have eyes to see it? If the Holy Spirit's at work in the life of a Muslim neighbor, do you think you'd have eyes to see it? I hope we're feeling a little uncomfortable right now because this is an uncomfortable moment for the church. I mean, this is really difficult stuff. And I, I want us to feel like the tension of it. This wasn't easy for them. This wasn't like they were sitting there saying, oh yeah, cool, um, Gentiles, yeah, sure, whatever. No, this, this is hard stuff they are wrestling through. And uh, uh, we're going to move further into questions of discernment, like later tonight still and, and all that. So like if you're like, whoa, Jason, like slow down because there's other important questions, I'm going to say yes, there are other important questions. This isn't the whole story, right? But let's just kind of move with the text, like let it work on us one step at a time. And the first thing I see here is that the, the radical thing Jesus is doing in the church is he's giving them eyes to see the movement of God in people who are not at all like them, people who don't have all the rules figured out. And I, I think we ought to meditate for a moment on whether we've got those kind of eyes to see God at work in unexpected places. So um, let's let that tension work on us for a little bit, and I think Dan's going to uh, lead us through a reflective moment here, and then we'll do some more work together, okay?
So I believe God gave us imaginations and children are usually best at using them and somewhere along the way we we get out of practice but we're going to use our imaginations through prayer uh, just for a minute so again would you just close your eyes get in a comfortable spot where you can just focus and settle your mind listen to this quote When we claim and constantly reclaim the truth of being the chosen ones, we soon discover within ourselves a deep desire to reveal in others their own chosenness. Instead of making us feel that we are better, more precious, or valuable than others, our awareness of being chosen opens our eyes to the chosenness of others. That is the great joy of being chosen. The discovery that others are chosen as well. In the house of God, there are many mansions. There's a place for everyone, a unique, special place. Once we deeply trust that we ourselves are precious in God's eyes, we are able to recognize the preciousness of others and their unique places in God's heart. I want you to bring to mind uh, that person that maybe came to mind when Jason was talking, that coworker that really bugs you, or that friend on Facebook that posts the really crazy stuff. Or maybe it's a political figure or a celebrity that represents everything that you are not. Imagine their face and their name, if you can. And you might notice that your hands start to clench or there's a tightness in your chest that just the thought of them starts to get your blood boiling. This is the difficult work of following Christ that he calls us to see others with God's eyes. And so as you think of that person, you see their face, remember that they are God's chosen and beloved child. God loves them like he loves you. Would you just take a minute to pray for that person? Not that they would change to be more like you, but that they would understand God's love for them. Let's take a couple minutes to pray for them right now.
You are God's child, deeply loved. And they are God's child, deeply loved. Now would you just spend a minute talking to God or just meditating on how you failed to see others as God sees them. Maybe ask God to change your heart. This doesn't mean that we're going to open our eyes and we're going to agree with everyone and we're all going to get along and we're not going to have any deep disagreements. But hopefully we can take a step toward seeing each other as human, as created in God's image.
from our sin we return to you. One of the things that makes me so hopeful in this story is that I know it's like kind of becoming cliche to talk about how divided we feel right now as a country, um, but but it's really true, right? I mean, it just seems like we are feeling the um, the lines along which we are divided in just really intense ways right now, right? And it seems to me that like with that as a backdrop. If God is, in fact, willing to give his love and his life to different kinds of people, right? Like those on the left and the right and those like from small town America and big cities and those who see things in radically different ways. If God loves us so much that he would give his son for everyone and then, and then kind of woo us to respond to that, all kinds of different people, that's really promising, right? Like, if, if God initiates it like that, that's really promising that the division we feel right now, it's not the last word for us. And then, if, if we could actually become the kind of people who have the eyes to see God showing up in unexpected places, that's really hopeful, right? Like, really promising. Like, that makes me think that you and I have good work that we could be a part of in the world in healing some of these things and putting things back together the way God wants them put back together again. Now, things do get complicated. <laughs> like, if, if we throw away the tribal lines and, and we start looking for God in unexpected places in the lives of people who live differently from us or who see things very differently from us, things do get complicated. Let's not gloss over that, right? So they have some discerning work to do in the church, for example, like on this question. So let's look uh, at this next part in Acts here. Uh, this is uh, James, one of the apostles. He stands up and he's been listening to what Peter talked about and remembering how the Holy Spirit is showing up in the Gentiles' lives. And he responds here, Acts 15, 19. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should, like, hold on to that. We should not make it difficult, right? We should not make it difficult. Instead, now listen, though, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So friends, South Bend City Church, we will not be eating the meat of strangled animals. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not where we're going with this. So here's what I'm about to say. There's some discerning work to go on. Okay, so we're all agreed, they're saying. We're agreed. God is showing up in the lives of the Gentiles. And we're all agreed that that, that evidence of the Holy Spirit, it's so important and it's so real that we're not going to ask those grown men to come under the knife. Right? We're not going to ask them to be circumcised, but we are going to say, like, we've got to work this out, though. Okay? Like, there's some detail to get into about how we live this together as a community. Um, like, we've got to discern in what ways are things that we do in our life, are they congruent with the movement of that spirit, and what things that we do aren't. Because there are things that we do that aren't congruent with the movement of God in the world. There are ways of living that aren't congruent with the work of God in the world. And we've, we've got to be real about that. We've got to talk about that as a church. So they're discerning what's congruent. I also think, by the way, that they're discerning what's appropriately sensitive. 
And let me see if I can explain. So um, here they've got this thing about food sacrifice to idols. This is like you would maybe go to a pagan temple and an animal would be slaughtered there and then people would eat the, the meat, right? Well, it's so deep, that food at that point is so deeply embedded in the idolatrous worship. That's a real problem where, where idolatry is everywhere and it's, it's, it's a really big deal for them, right? Now, if you read Paul's letters, it's interesting because Paul works on this whole eating meat sacrifice to idols things in Paul's letters. And I'm just going to kind of point to it and for the nerds in the room, you can go read further, okay? The rest of you just take my word for it. Deal? <laughs> Thank you. All right. One of the interesting things is that when Paul writes letters to different churches in different places, he has slightly different rules for what you're supposed to do about things like meat sacrifice to idols. It's almost as if some part of this, not all of it, but some part of it is less about like a universal code for all time. After all, most of us eat meat with blood in it these days, right? Like we don't make sure that we go kosher from our butcher, right? I mean, maybe some of you do. Like that's going to be the new vegan thing or something like that. I know, like the new paleo. But... But th- th- there's certainly been like some evolution there, right? I, I want to draw our attention to that because one of the things that seems to be their concern is like, hey, we're bringing the Gentiles in. This is so good. God is bringing the Gentiles in. But some of this stuff is so problematic, so difficult, so scandalizing for the Jews that are also a part of this fellowship that we can't just disregard them. We can't just be like, hey, you know what? Deal with it. Sorry, sorry that it makes you like, gag because of your religious upbringing. Like, we got to deal with this a little bit. So there's like a sensitivity thing going on in the community too, which is we don't like, go heavy-handed against each other in the freedom that we have. Like, we don't just like, flaunt our freedom. Like, this is great. The, the Spirit's showing up with Gentiles who aren't obeying the Torah, so we're going to flaunt it and put it in your face and make you deal with it. That's not the ethic here either. There's a discernment about what is right and wrong in God's kingdom, and there's discernment about what is sensitive to other people in God's kingdom, and that's really messy. And part of what I'm driving at today is we don't get to go very far in the story unless we become discerning people too. I mean that, like, if you're really going to take Jesus seriously in the world, he's going to take you to places where you don't always know what the right answer is. And sometimes in those places, you're going to have to become a discerning person. A discerning person means there aren't always perfectly clear written rules for every situation, but you don't get to live in that certainty every day. A discerning person means sometimes you got to pray a lot and just return to a mode of prayer frequently to let God lead you in the right direction. Being discerning means that you've got to be in community with other people who are discerning together because odds are you're going to get more right than wrong if you do it with others than if you do it on your own. Let me uh, see if there's a little example here that helps you at all. And maybe this will seem, I don't know what this will seem like to you guys. Here's an example uh, from a not-too-distant chapter in my life. So, um, so I went to Bethel College in town. What, what? Some Bethel people in the room. If you don't know Bethel, uh, Christian College, um, some rules. <laughs> and so, so I grew up in a, like a family background that, that like, the, the thought in our family sort of system was that uh, having a beer and loving Jesus aren't incompatible. And then uh, I would say that Bethel's sort of like tradition and background is more of the perspective that having those two things are incompatible. So my college years, while like friends at state schools were getting hammered, I wasn't. Like, just didn't do it. And we signed this lifestyle covenant, and part of me thought it was dumb, to be honest, but part of me thought two wrongs don't make a right, and I signed it, and I'm just going to stick with it. So that was how that went. And then I get done with that, and then I start working at a church, and not just a church, but the big church in town. And, you know, you're on a stage, and your face is 10 feet tall on the big screen, and then you go out to dinner, and somebody knows you from the screen, you know? 
And I had to wrestle with what I was going to do with this particular question. Because I, I definitely believed that having a beer could be compatible with loving Jesus. I absolutely believed that. And if you haven't noticed, that's kind of our church's position too. <laughs> Preach it, brother. You guys give me the amens at the worst times, man. Thank you. So obviously that's our church's position, right? But I know that there are other believers that it, it really like violates their understanding of, of what God is doing in the world. I mean, it's very deeply held for them, right? And I know there are people that it's not necessarily a matter of conscience, maybe it's a matter of addiction, that they don't go there, right? And so I really wrestled with that for a season. Like, will I, won't I, will I sometimes? I prayed about it, and I talked to some good friends about it. And what I ended up coming up with was, I'll have a beer, but I'll only have a beer in like 21 and over situations. I'll do it in places where other people would reasonably expect it. I'm not going to, I don't know, sit at Chipotle with a Corona, which I'm not knocking you if you do that. I'm just saying like this was me discerning, right? I'm not going to like post pictures of my favorite whiskey on my Instagram account because that to me feels like I'm kind of like shoving it in your face, right? And whether you disagree with me in conscience or whether that's a stumbling block for you, a problem in your life, like I didn't want to shove that too far in your face. And here's what I'm saying. That's not like a perfect rule. I wouldn't tell anybody else that's the right rule for them. I'm not even sure that's exactly right for me. But that, that, that was me like trying to take seriously the work of discernment because there's A, what is right and wrong in God's eyes, like for Jason. And I, I feel pretty deeply convicted that like God's fine with Jason having a beer. In fact, I think he likes beer too. I think he would have one with me if he were here. But, but I also think God cares a lot about my brothers and sisters and other people in the world for whom that's either a matter of conscience or addiction, and I'm not going to shove it in their faces. And I think he also cares about that. That seems to be part of what's going on here in the discernment. So pay attention to the language, which is interesting. Uh, at the end of that passage, for Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. In other words, remember, friends, our Jewish brothers and sisters for generations all around the ancient world, wherever they hear the Torah, they have heard, don't eat this kind of meat. Don't go there. Don't do that, right? So let's have some sensitivity to that because we're all in this together, right? We're all in this together. Uh, I don't think we can lose that if we're going to discern how God wants us to be the church in the world. There's um, a, a number of really important questions the church in the world is wrestling with in the era that we're in right now. And I don't think we get to be the church without wrestling with those questions together. There's, um, the easy thing is like for me to just tell you all what to think. First of all, I think most of you are too smart for that. I don't, like, I don't think you'd put up with that. And secondly, I don't think that's good because I think communal discerning is a good thing. Like I actually think that's the way it's supposed to work. God's people learning together, discerning together, and doing it gently, right? Because when we disagree, some of those disagreements are important and deeply held. And uh, if you think that we're going to get far down the road without becoming discerning people, we're not. If you think that we'll never have moments when we're like, man, I, I don't know right now. Like, I, I think we're going to have moments when we've got to get on our knees. I think in your life, like, as you move further and further out, to, like, maybe, God, maybe God's going to start opening you up to the fact that he's doing work in somebody in your life that you didn't expect it. Coworker, neighbor, friend, enemy, Right? <laughs> And it may be that as you open your heart to that and you start moving toward it, you may come to some forks in the road that are really confusing, right? And in my experience, sometimes those forks in the road, it feels like, oh no, the fact that I have come up against this confusing question must mean that I'm in the wrong place or I've gone too far or I've done the wrong thing. 
And I'm just here to tell you, you can't read like three pages of the Bible without discovering, no, we constantly have that in following Jesus. It takes you to confusing places, and we're going to pray together and discern together and cheer for each other and be really gentle with each other because sometimes we don't get it perfectly right, but we keep moving forward together, right? Now, another note about this. If you want to think about the the experience of the Jews who follow Jesus, I want to draw attention to the fact that like, They had to give up their reputation for righteousness to stay with Jesus. And this really messes with me. They had to give up their reputation for righteousness to stick with Jesus. I mean, so like, there's Jews and Jewish Christians and some Gentiles kind of swarming around Jerusalem, for example. And the Jews who are following Jesus, they discover that the Spirit of God through Jesus is like drawing their hearts to cross into the homes of Gentiles, to share a meal with them, to love them, to enjoy how God was bringing them together, and to do that, for a Jew to walk into that Gentile home with a person who isn't circumcised and who doesn't obey the same laws, that Jew literally, as he walks through that doorway, he's leaving behind his reputation for being a godly Jew in the eyes of the non-Christian Jews all around him. That's challenging for me. Uh, I think about... um, uh, Joseph and Mary, and specifically Joseph. So in one of the Gospels, Jesus' parents, right? Well, Jesus' mom and the other guy, right? <laughs> you know? So Mary's betrothed to Joseph, which is a legal agreement. It's far more formal than, like, engagement would be in our world today. She's betrothed to Joseph, and then the Holy Spirit does this thing, right? And she, con- she conceives this child that will be Jesus, who will come into the world, and she's got to tell her, her fiancé, that she's got a baby growing in her belly, right? Now, Deuteronomy 22, back to their law, back to their Torah, the same text that they're grappling with on this question in Acts, right? In Deuteronomy 22, it says that if a woman is betrothed to a man and it's discovered that she's been unfaithful before her wedding day, she's to be dragged to the doorway of her father's house and stoned. That's the definition of righteousness in that text, okay? And we read in the gospel that Joseph is a righteous man, And that's not like um, just casual language. That's like a very specific description for a kind of person who's known in the community for always obeying the Torah. This is a guy who never breaks Sabbath. This is a guy who never eats the food he's not supposed to eat. This is a guy who does everything to the letter of the law, and he's known for it, and he's respected for it. I suspect his identity comes from it, and I bet it's affirmed by all the people around him. He's doing what it takes to be a good Jew. And he discovers if he's going to keep up with the work of God in the world, he actually has to leave that reputation behind. Because the only way to protect that reputation for righteousness was to to at least quietly divorce Mary, which is what he decides he's going to do until the angel comes and tells him what's going on, right? He actually has to leave behind him his reputation for righteousness so he can keep up with the work of God in the world. Now, I don't know know what the equivalent for that in your life is. It, It may not be righteousness, but there may be other ways that you live in a, like a mini world, right? I don't mean the world like the globe. I mean your world, like your closest social circle, your family system, your workplace. I mean like the immediate cultural context around you, your neighbors, that whatever that is, there's a, there's a definition of righteousness in that system. There's a definition of what it means to be like an upstanding person in that system, right? Um, the easy one to point to that we keep pointing to is like, if you're surrounded by like politically liberal people, right? There's, there's, there is a definition of righteousness in that culture, right? If you're surrounded by politically conservative people, there's a definition of righteousness in that mini culture, right? 
you could go on and on. I don't know what it is in your world, politics or otherwise, but there are definitions of what it means to be good, to be on the right page, to be the right kind of person in our worlds. And we discover again and again that sometimes you have to leave it behind to keep up with Jesus. And that's really hard. In 2003, I was waiting tables at Outback Steakhouse, which I loved. Seriously, uh, it was fun work and the discount was awesome. Um, and I really loved it, but I was also trying to wrap up college and it wasn't like aligned with my career hopes. So when a church called Granger Community Church called me out and asked me if I was interested in an internship, I said, that sounds great, and I jumped in. Well, the first year, like, I mean, I was just doing like part-time and I wasn't even sure if GCC was really a church. If, if, you, if you have history there, like, you can laugh with me about that. It was just different than the churches I had been to growing up. It was different in style and approach. And it was a lot bigger than anything I'd seen before. Um, but here's what happened. My heart started just getting cracked open by that place. I just, I got to see things I'd never seen before. I'd, I'd never seen a church, like, change the lives of adults. Um, I mostly, like, growing up, I grew up in churches where, like, kids got baptized because they're 8 years old or 10 years old, and it was, like, time, you know? But I, I don't know that I'd really seen much evidence of, like, a person's life just changed, just radically changed, and I got to see that. Um, I got to see us, like, care about the poor, and I hadn't really gotten to see a lot of that action in church, feeding people and trying to love on people who are struggling, and that really, really lit me up. And I got to just meet people every week whose lives were being radically changed, and I loved it, you guys. And I had this really clear sense, this is where God has me right now. And so about a year later, when the chance to go full-time there opened up, I jumped at it, and I was really, really excited. But here's what happened. My little world, GCC wasn't actually very righteous in my little world. So some of my like, Christian friends, some of my closest friends, they thought GCC was the watered-down church. They thought GCC was the church that turned its back on the gospel so they could have bigger numbers. They thought that GCC was the church that liked rock music more than Jesus. And some of them stopped speaking to me when I took that job. These are some of my closest, dearest friends, uh, mentors in my life. I mean people like, ev- like family to me, people that I live my life with every day, people I looked up to, people who had taught me what it was like to follow Jesus, people who had loved me through really difficult seasons, and they just like, they, they turned on me like overnight. I mean, it was so fast I had whiplash. You know what I mean? I was like, a second ago, you were rooting for me, and now you're like against me because I'm, I'm so clear in my mind. This is where God's leading me. This is the next step for me and what God's doing in the world. But it doesn't match your definition of what God does in the world. So you're done with me? You're going to turn your back? Well, um, later in, in the book of Acts, and as we read the story of the church, they get persecuted pretty hard. And one of the things going on is that the Jews who are following Jesus have to give up their reputation for righteousness among the other Jews so they can keep up with Jesus. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what the righteousness equation is in your individual social construct, your world, but sometimes I think we're all going to run into that. If you've been following Jesus for years and and you've never hit that, I wonder if it's time to like open yourself up a little more. Maybe there's a risk in front of you, a step to take that violates the orthodoxy of, of your world, and maybe that's exactly where Jesus is leading you. I'll tell you this, um, those friends, ultimately, like, we reconciled in a really beautiful way. And so just to kind of bring full closure to that story, but I think it was really hard for them because they didn't see what, what I was seeing and what God was doing in my life. Um, and I'm really grateful that that all came back together. But I'll tell you what, even if it hadn't, I'm so glad I didn't let their resistance hold me back. 
because uh, the last 13 years that I had at Granger were like the best thing in my life. I mean, like so full of God and so full of learning about his work in the world. And to think that maybe I would have not taken that step because I was afraid of my, what my little world around me would have defined as righteous, I mean, that like kind of shakes me to think that I might have missed out. Um, we've got so much good in front of us, you guys. We, we get to move into the city of South Bend at a time where so much is shifting in the city. Um, whenever things are shifting, that means that some people, things are working really well for them and other people are being left behind. Whenever things are shifting, it means some people are more excited than other ever and other people are more disrupted than ever, right? I mean, we just got a world that's changing. We've got a city that's on the move and we get to be South Bend City Church in the middle of all of that. We get to turn to the world and say, hey, whoever told you you had to jump through hoops to be with God, they were lying to you. He is a gift, right? And we get to turn to the world and we get to say, hey, you know what? It's messy. You want to do it with us? It's really messy. Like, you want to just wrestle with these questions together and move into the future together and see what God is up to? And sometimes we may have to, like, take difficult steps and we may have to discern and pray like mad and just ask God to keep showing us what's next for us. But I'm absolutely convinced that what's waiting for us is something that, like, we would, we would look back and say, I'm so glad we didn't shrink back. I'm so glad we kept walking. I'm so glad we pressed in to, like, the inconvenience of weeknights and, like, changing venues and set-up chairs. And I'm so glad that we... Uh, planted our lives in the city of South Bend to see what God's going to do through South Bend City Church with grace and peace just like oozing out of us into the world around us. So, um, so I hope Acts 15 messes with you a little bit. That's what I hope. I hope that you take this home. I hope you like read it, pray on it, let it, let it screw with you a little bit because um, we get to screw with the world a little bit and I really like that. Uh, that's, that's what I think is going on in the kingdom in a profound way. Um, let's see, Kara, where are you at? Hey, can we do that little thing? Yeah, just, just go see the, just crack the door. So uh, one other note for our community, um, the Brick has been such a good home for us and continues to be a really hospitable place. Um, a feature of that, right, is our bartenders. Adam, can you come out here for a minute? Don't be shy, I promise, we're not gonna screw with you too much. Adam, uh, Adam has uh, served us uh, almost every Wednesday since we got here, every night that we've been here. We just really love Adam. And I've told Adam before that like, we really feel like what happens after this sort of program time is really important for our community too because we get to love on each other and get to know each other. And there's just this friendly face always back there taking really good care of us. Tonight's Adam's last night at the Brick, at least for a while, right? Uh, yes. Or I'm sorry, our last Wednesday, yes. your last Wednesday Saturday with us. Night Saturday night's his last night. Where are you going? Taking some months off. So anyway, um, when Adam's back at the brick, we probably won't be at the brick for our Wednesdays. And of course, you can come back to see him. But I just thought, like, if it's not too weird for you, yeah. could we just, like, like, say a prayer of blessing, which is an obnoxiously Christian way of saying we love you? Sure. Is that all right? You guys want to do that, right? Okay, let's get on our feet. And um, yeah, seriously, man, we're just uh, really grateful. So let me do this, okay? God, thanks for Adam. Thanks for his uh, friendliness to our community and all the good ways that he serves us. Um, seriously, thanks for the way a good glass of wine or a good beer just like enriches our community and all the ways that Adam has made that happen for us. I know that for me, every, t every week when I'm here, I just um, feel so filled up and encouraged by his kindness to our community. So we just pray blessing after blessing. Uh, that the time out there on the road is full of good things and um, that along the way he knows that he's very much loved by this community and by you. And we pray it in Christ's name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Adam, we love you, man.
Thanks. You guys should tip him like crazy tonight. Does that sound good? Yeah. Awesome. And then why don't you stay on your feet and let me just offer a benediction for us uh, before we go. May you discover the good, messy, unexpected movement of God in the world today because the Holy Spirit has not stopped moving. May you uh, feel comforted when it gets confusing because you're not alone. May the story of the church, the words of the scriptures embolden you and make you strong and courageous for the messy, confusing moments. When the Holy Spirit leads you to uncomfortable places and uncomfortable people, may you celebrate the fact that that's exactly where Jesus is. And may we, South Bend City Church, be a community that boldly goes wherever Jesus is leading us, knowing that it's good out there wherever he is leading us, and it's worth everything that it costs us because it's the only thing that matters. Grace and peace be with you, my friends. Amen.